This is most certainly true. The Lamb of God who was long foretold has come to be our sacrifice. Jesus offered himself and graciously shed his blood in our place so that we could be forgiven. And now we have the assurance of life and glory with him forever in heaven. Join us to look to the Lamb through this sermon recently delivered at Grace. Second reading is Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3. Paul's number one priority in life was to know Jesus and thus to receive salvation in his name. These words will serve as the basis for this morning's sermon. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. My life seems so empty and hollow, said Roberta. Why am I here and where am I going, asked Joanna. The purpose for my life? Good question, said Leonard. How do we find meaning in life. Deep thinkers, philosophers, have discussed and debated that for a long, long, long time. In an article published a year ago, a Stanford professor wrote, 
that people who are seeking meaning in life generally fall into one of four categories. Some look for meaning in life in their feelings. Others try to find meaning in life in their characteristics and behavior. Some chase after meaning by how they react to what life throws in their path. And then there are those who look for meaning in life outside of themselves and look to God for meaning. I cast my lot with the last group because it's the only way to get a guarantee and joy no matter what. And that's why we delight today to turn our attention to the second reading which you heard read from the lectern from Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 3 as he pinpoints where we find meaning in life. So what do you get when you scrape and claw, strive and wrestle to get ahead in life? Prestige? Recognition? Self-satisfaction? For much of his early life, the Apostle Paul was striving to find meaning in life from what he did, category two. He wanted to be good and do good. He wasn't naughty or nasty, and he had all the credentials. Born one of the chosen people, raised to live according to the strict teaching of the Israelites, a Pharisee who followed Pharisaic rules to the letter. And he didn't merely just fit in. He was an activist pursuing and persecuting his fellow Israelites who fell away and followed another leader. Paul was striving to find meaning in life in doing his religion. And what's wrong with that? You'd probably be willing to shoot off a little toe to have neighbors who were like that. But Paul's life was all wrong. What he thought was in the plus column was really in the minus column. What he thought was putting himself in the black, earning dividends with God, was actually putting himself in the red, in debt to God. His whole Pharisaic life of doing added up to absolute zero. But Jesus jumped into his life and turned his world upside down. The apostle writes, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from doing things, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And it wasn't like for Paul just trading in an old car that sort of worked for something new. It wasn't for him as though he had clothes that he said, well, they're kind of out of style, but they still fit, so I'll wear them when I'm working out. No, the change was far more dramatic than that. The difference between the life that Jesus had given to Paul and the life he tried so hard to live was the difference between 
being decked out in formal wear or being smeared with sewage. Jesus gave him a new life, and in that life, there was meaning. The apostle bubbled up and said, I want to be found in Christ. I want to know Christ. To know Christ isn't just having all kinds of information about Jesus. Even the devil has all the information. But to know Christ means to appreciate that he's the only source and guarantee of love from God. To know Christ, he says, is enjoying the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You know what it's like to wake up in the morning all groggy and tired and sore. But then you jump in a nice hot steaming shower and you come out all surging for life. Imagine somebody dead, surging back to life. That's what Jesus did. That's what he gave to Paul and that's what he gives to us. But my life is so boring. My life is empty. My life is one hassle leading to another. My life is nothing. Here today, gone tomorrow. My life is one struggle after another. My life is a steady stream of bad habits and old patterns. I want God's approval, but it keeps feeling to me like I'm in the wrong, like there's something wrong with me. Do any one of those statements fit you? But check out what God did. The power drill of his threats makes it clear. It convinces and convicts us that we are as dead as doornails, no life. But then the defibrillator of his promises jumpstarts life within us. Thanks to the new status with God we have given to us by Jesus, God no longer looks at us as rebels, but looks at us as the apple of his eye. We have worth. We have value in God's sight. And how do we, how do we know that? Well, you can tell what something is worth from the price that's paid for it. If you went to get a new car and the dealer said to you, well, here's one that's worth $100, You'd probably raise your eyebrows. That thing probably wouldn't even make it off the lot. But if he said, here's an $8 million Mercedes, I'm giving it to you for free. No taxes, nothing. My gift to you. You would be stunned and speechless. God's gift of new life, this connection that we have with our God, is worth more than an $8 million Mercedes. It costs God the blood of his son. That's why the Apostle John could write in one of his letters, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, has a connection with God. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And how about from the lips of the Savior Jesus himself? Very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. You have crossed over from death, being separate from God and under his anger, to life, being connected to God and surrounded by his love. And in that, you have meaning in your life, the life that Jesus gives you. It's hard 
to concentrate on two things at the same time. You learned that very likely when you had learned how to drive. The driver's instructor said, well, the main thing is to pay attention all around, especially to focus ahead. But don't forget, you also have to be glancing in the rearview mirror. And then you learn that by hard example, trial and error. There you were, cruising down the freeway, just moving along, do-do-do-do-do, and all of a sudden, right up on your bumper is a semi blasting the horn. Whoa! And then later on, you're still cruising down that freeway, and you're going to change lanes to get around that slowpoke RV, and whoosh, someone drives and flies by you going 25 miles over the speed limit, probably Illinois license plates, and just, where did that come from? But what if you had a friend who said to you, Let's go to the store. I'll pick you up. I'll drive. And by the way, I should tell you, whenever I'm driving, I only drive while staring in the rearview mirror. Would you even get in that car? Driving safely means being aware of all around, especially focusing ahead while still once in a while glancing back. But how often, how often our brain keeps dredging up memories of things from our past that we're ashamed of, things we regret, things we wished we did not do. Those memories are like scary ogres in the caves of our subconscious. And they keep bubbling up and bugging us, kind of like when you have your tongue always moving over to hit a jagged edge of a broken tooth. It's always there bugging you. Maybe, maybe it was something you said that was hurtful to a loved one or a friend. Maybe you found yourself falling short of expectations, either by laziness or overconfidence, or maybe we found ourselves cheating or lying or lusting or nabbing something that's not our own. Maybe it's the way we thought about how we raised our kids or treated our parents. What are we to do? What are we to do with all this past that bugs us and bothers us? It doesn't seem to help when somebody says, well, just forget about it. And yet the Apostle Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You might be thinking, well, that's easy for the apostle to do. He was an amazing apostle. Pretty easy for him to forget about things from the past. Well, really, I think you know his story. Most of you do. He had been corralling Christians and dumping them in the pokey in his early career. And he was standing on the sidelines cheering and clapping while a very faithful young Christian church worker in Jerusalem named Stephen was getting killed by rocks. How his past must have haunted Paul. But God had given him new life from Jesus. And that meant he could live his life looking forward, living for Jesus. Why? Because the Lord Jesus had grabbed all of the past bad things and failures and sins of Paul's past, hauled them up onto his cross, burned them in the fires of hell, and dumped them into his tomb. Okay, it's wise for us once in a while to look back on our life, to keep our bearings, to appreciate where we are because we know where we've been. But as bad an idea it is to drive while just staring in the rearview mirror, dwelling on the past will land us in a ditch. God has forgiven all. And when God forgives, he forgets. 
He has removed our sins as far as the east from the west. And that means we have new life with God from Jesus and we can live our life looking forward and living for Jesus. We join in the excitement of the apostle. Not that I've already obtained all this for or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And in that forward-looking life for Jesus, we have meaning. Sometimes life can seem, seem like a marathon, You need a lot of strength and endurance to make it day by day through life. But there's hope and there's help. The Lord Jesus, who ascended into heaven when he ascended, didn't disappear or fly into the stratosphere. He just used his ascension to make himself invisible and give the promise, I, the true God-man, will be with you always. That means he's running alongside of us through the marathon of life and supplying and refreshing us with the water of life and the spiritual carbs and proteins of his word and sacraments as we run this marathon of life looking forward to living for God and for others by your prayers. Not just for what you want, but what, for what others need. You're making a difference. And that's a life with meaning. By your gifts that support our ministry together here at Grace, but also are channeled through our church to our church body for a global impact, you're making a difference. And that's a life with meaning. By your smile, greeting someone new, welcoming them, introducing yourself, lifting your eyes to theirs so that they can see in your eyes love from Jesus for you and for them, you're making a difference. And that's a life with meaning. And even if it's only one person, just one life touched, it's all worth it. You could have head and neck like an owl and turn this way and that, look all around, up and down, even inside and out, and you will not find meaning for life unless and until you focus on Jesus. Because of him and in him, we know why we're here and where we're going because Jesus gives life meaning. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace, to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, and to find our schedule of special worship services, please visit www.gracedowntown.org today and we'd love to have you join us for worship sometime soon. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.